in song. We greet you here as we worship our Lord. I'd like you to turn to the scriptures of Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18, we'll be reading verses 23 to 35. Matthew chapter 18, verses 23 to 35. Let's pray. Father in heaven, We've been touched by the song. We've been touched, Lord, by our experience with you here. Now as we read your word, Lord, speak deep to our hearts. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Matthew chapter 18, verse 23 to um, 35, it says, Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king, which would take account of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him, which owed him 10,000 talents. But for as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold, and his wife, and children, and all that he had, and payment to be made. The servant therefore fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. Then the Lord of the... Then the Lord of the servant was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave him the debt. But the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him a hundred pence. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me that thou owest. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. And he would not, but went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry and came and told unto their Lord all that was done. Then his Lord, after that he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt because thou desirest me. Shouldest not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? 
and his Lord was wroth, and delivered him to the tormentors, till he should pay all that was due unto him. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if you if ye from your hearts forgive not every one his brother their trespasses. May God add his blessing upon the reading of his word this morning. And all that are um, able, let's kneel and pray. Father in heaven, what a message in your word. Teach in every one of our hearts, Lord. Put that compassion, that love, that forgiveness, Lord, in our hearts for one another. And unite us closer to you and closer to one another. Lord, we're praying for your Holy Spirit, Lord, to come amongst us, Lord, to teach us, to guide us, for your angels to fill the empty seats beside us, and that you'll push the enemy back from tampering with any one of us here today as we worship you. We pray, Father in heaven, for your Holy Spirit to move deep upon our speaker and our brother in Christ when anoint his lips, Lord, as he brings a message that you have put on his heart this morning. And Lord, we want to pray for those that are listening and are not here and joining us in whatever way, Lord, on, on um, computers or however they get it out there, Lord. Bless them in their homes, the ones that can't be here. We think of those who are sick. We think of those who are hurting or discouraged, Lord. Put it upon our hearts to go and share this message, Lord, that you've just shared with us here through your word. And we pray, Lord, and thank you and give you praise for the protection, for health, and for every day, Lord, as we know we are living in incredible times in the season, Lord, that you forewarned us, and we know you're coming very, very soon. So, Lord, remove anything in our lives, the phoniness of our hearts, and make us real for Christ, that we can do the work that, Lord, that you've called us to do, and that this great controversy and desire of ages that's been passed through this community Heavenly Father, may your Holy Spirit accompany the words as people pick them up. May they heed the call, and may we be ready and go home soon. Thank you for your love. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for the message and the song. And thank you, Lord, that we can come and worship your holy, holy name. In the name of Christ, our Lord and Savior, we pray and thank you. Amen. This time, I want to invite our speaker out here this morning. Our speaker is Sven Tornlov. And that's a nice name to say. I couldn't quite get it. I was practicing it out there to try to get his last name. He's the associate treasurer of the BC Conference. He works with the plan giving um, director with the wills. And those who are meeting, you'll be meeting Sven here. I met Sven. I've seen him at camp meeting many times. And... He always was just a friendly guy. You know, you meet a lot of lovely people, but he always was real friendly. But what's interesting is I know his in-laws because they camp right across from us, Merritt and um, Becky. Becky Mundells. So many of you might probably know them. And it's their daughter, is his wife, Mary Lee, which is sitting over there by Heather and Danny. Welcome. We want to welcome you here today to this 
beautiful church family of Williams Lake. Thank you. Thank and you very much. God bless you as you present your word. Thank you. Awesome. Jesus is here. Hallelujah. Amen. That is such a beautiful song that that just brings my heart and, you know, and, and my mind just into being able to, to worship here with you. You guys live in a beautiful country this morning to see the deer out in the fields, eating the hay and the grass. Such a beautiful thing. So let's, let's bow our heads and invite God here to be in our presence. Dear Father, I want to thank you for your love that you have given to us. And Lord, I want to humbly invite you to be here in our presence, Father. Open our minds and open our hearts that we will be receptive. And my prayer is, Lord, that each one will just take away one or two things that they will implement into their lives today and every day until your soon return. Lord, your name I pray. Amen. Do not raise your hand to this question, okay? So you don't have to raise your hand. You can keep your hand down by your side. But when was the last time that someone hurt your feelings? No hands, remember? When was the last time someone stole from you? Slandered you? Gossiped about you? Or just offended you and hurt your feelings? How about we flip that coin? When was the last time that you hurt someone else's feelings? When was the last time you even gossiped about someone? When was the last time that you caused someone else to have heartache? You know, it might be easier to remember the last time that someone hurt you, because it's pretty easy to remember those things. It is so easy because the tree remembers, the tree bears the scars that the axe forgets. There is a simple truth that if we live long enough, sooner or later, we're going to hurt someone. That's just how it goes. Mark, if you and I hang out long enough, I'm going to offend you. It's just, it's just a matter of time. You can count on it. Your friends are going to hurt your feelings somewhere down the line, or you're going to hurt them. In Matthew 18, verse 7, it says, Woe to the world because of offenses, for offenses must come, but woe to the man by whom the offense comes. So plain and simple, if you fellowship long enough with someone, you're going to hurt them, you're going to offend them, they're going to hurt you, or they're going to offend you. It's just the simple fact of living in this sinful world. Today I brought some axes with me. And I want to use them to illustrate some simple transgressions. And I'm going to call them simple. And hopefully at the end of the sermon you'll understand why I am calling them simple. So I have a Pulaski here. And let's say a friend betrays you. Okay? The friend betrays you. 
I have a broad axe. I have a broad axe here. And let's say that a spouse is unfaithful. I have a bush hook. So let's say that someone abuses you. Maybe it's someone in the church. Maybe it's an elder or the pastor. Now I have a throwing axe. Let's say that someone steals from you or vandalizes from you. Okay? I have a little boy's axe. Let's say someone gossips about you. You know, this axe, it looks fairly benign, doesn't it? A little boy's axe. A little boy's axe. Did you know that this is the most dangerous of them all? Do you know why? Because if you're splitting wood and you miss the tree, what happens? It goes into your leg. Some of these longer ones, it's okay because they'll hit the ground. Someone gossips about you. Lots of scars. We have a fireman's axe. A family or a friend or a church leader disappoints you. Just a little fireman's axe, right? And now we have a little scout. Just a little scout. There might be something that's in your heart that you know where you offended someone or someone has offended you. I'll let you use your imagination for this one. The tree remembers what the axe forgets. The axe is the transgressor, the tree, the victim. This is the one that bears the scars. Offenses are going to come, sometimes often. You might not be able to stop them, but guess what? You can forgive them. I know I can almost hear some of you say, forgive them? Forgive them? After what they have done to me, you don't know what they have done to me. How can I forgive them? I cannot forgive them. Why? Why? I would actually like to get even. When someone wrongs you with a cutting remark or abuses you or if they were unfaithful to you, by default in our mind, if we do not forgive them, we are writing their name down in our mind and we determine sometime in the future that we're going to get even but not do the same thing to them. We're smarter than that. We're more cunning than that. When the opportunity arises down the line, we're going to do something else to get even. And may I tell you that that's exactly what happens when we try to get even, when we gossip about them, that's all we get. We get even. We get down to the same level where they're at.
That is it. If you want freedom, freedom is only in forgiving. Freedom is only found when we forgive. On the other hand, it's bondage if we do not forgive. That's the problem. It's bondage. Refusing to forgive will crush God's spirit within us. It will dull our prayer life. It will rob the Williams Lake Seventh-day Adventist Church of what God gifted you with. It will rob this church of what God has gifted you with. So what is Jesus really talking about in the scripture reading? Matthew 18, 23 to 35. And I want to sum this parable up in one sentence. If you're going to follow Jesus, then you must be willing to forgive like Jesus. In learning more about this freedom in forgiving, let's ponder for a second what freedom is not. Forgiving doesn't mean that we instantly stop hurting. That's sometimes what we think it is, right? We can forgive, but we can still hurt inside. It takes a long time to heal. A long time for scars to heal. Forgiving doesn't mean forgetting. When you forgive someone, what you're doing is you're no longer using whatever they did to you to try to hurt them back. Whenever I think of someone's name, whenever I think of Danny or see Danny, I don't think of that transgression that he did against me. That's what forgiving is. In the Greek, it's called aphesis, and it means release. The Greek word for forgive is translated in English as release. You know, if you look up in Matthew 4, verses 20, about Peter and Jesus, when Peter went and followed Jesus, what did he do? It says he released himself from his nets and from his boat. He didn't dismiss it. He didn't forget about it. He always knew that his nets and boat were there, but he didn't really need to think about it every day because he was so focused on following Jesus. He released himself from his boats and his nets. So to forgive someone, it means to leave behind like Peter and Andrew did. They left behind their boats and nets. When we forgive someone, we leave behind that transgression. Therefore, I think it is so important that we need to realize that forgiveness is a choice. And if you choose not to release them from that offense... And if you haven't chose to dismiss it, then by default it means that you are actually still in bondage to them. The forgiveness that Jesus is talking about, this means to dismiss it, to leave it behind, to send it away, to release it, that hurt in your heart. So how do I know if there is someone who I haven't forgiven? When I see them, I think of that transgression immediately. It consumes my mind. 
when I see them. Now, beginning in verse 23 of Matthew, Jesus tells the parable to illustrate this point, that there was a man who owned the king 10,000 talents. Do you know how much a talent is worth? $1.5 million. Multiply that by 10,000, and you get $10 billion. He owed the king $10 billion. Do you know how much $10 billion is? Does anyone here? You can raise your hand now if you know how much $10 billion is. I don't know what $10 billion is, so I had to do a little bit of math to kind of figure out really how much is $10 billion. If I had to repay that, how long would it take? So let's say, for example, I had a good job and I was making $100,000 a year. And let's say I didn't have to use any of that money for my living expenses. I lived with my mom. She took care of everything for me. So I could use 100, and you, you know what? I owed so much money that the government said, we're not even going to take any money from you. So I could use my full gross amount, my $100,000, to pay off the debt. If you believe that this earth is 6,000 years old, you would have to work 25 earth lifetimes. You'd have to work 25 times longer than this earth is in existence every year, earning $100,000 to pay it back. It's a debt that's impossible to pay off. Impossible. If the working years of a person is 40 years and you earned $100,000 and you paid $100,000 on your debt and there was no interest on your debt, you would have to work for 3,750 lifetimes to pay this off. The king was moved with compassion and he wiped out the entire debt. He wiped it out. Verse 27, then the master of that servant, he was moved with compassion. And what does it say? He released him and forgave him of the debt. Forgiven of a debt that he could not pay. Now you would think, you would think that this man would be so relieved and so excited. He would want to tell the world of how much he had been Freed, and if anyone owed him anything, he would extend that same compassion, right? You'd think that he would just be jubilant, but what did he do in verse 28? But that servant went out and found, he went out to find him. It's not like as if they just crossed paths on the sidewalk by chance. He went out to find him. He was searching for him, and when he found that servant who owed him a hundred denarii, he laid hands on his throat saying, you pay me what you owe me. This same person who has experienced forgiveness of a debt that he could not repay, impossible. He went in search for a man who owed him a hundred denarii, which is a hundred days wages. One denarii, Matthew 20 verse 2, tells you that one denarii is a day's wage. You can pay back a hundred days wages, can't you, over time? It's not fun, but it's doable, right? He took him by the throat and said, you pay me or else. How could anyone be so ungrateful? I do not know. However, I think that we are so much like this servant, aren't we? God has forgiven us a debt that we could never repay. 
He died on the cross to forgive our sins so that we could have eternity. Yet we are so unwilling to forgive these. We're unwilling. This is the hundred denarii. We're unwilling to forgive. We forget the same thing that this man forgot that day. That forgiveness and mercy from God, that God has shown us, and we are unwilling to forgive. The wages of sin is death, and with Jesus' death on the cross, our debt has been forgiven. It has been released, it has been erased. And in return, we refuse to forgive others. In Colossians 3, 12 to 14, it says, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, you also must do. You know, I can almost hear some of you saying down in the depths of your heart, I I understand what the Bible says. I have an intellectual knowledge of what the Bible is saying, and I realize that it is my duty to forgive, but I cannot. I cannot forgive because it hurts too much It cuts too deep. I want you to stop dancing around and I want to cut straight to the chase. And don't say, I cannot forgive, but say, I have chosen not to forgive. I've made a conscious choice not to forgive. And I want to warn you that for those of you who refuse to forgive, I want you to understand the consequences. Because it says it right there in Matthew 18, 32 to 34. Then his master, after he had called him, said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not have also had compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had pity on you, And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. What kind of torturers is Jesus talking about? Jesus is talking about that inner torment that sits inside your heart and it holds on so tight and it harbors that unforgiving spirit. And do you know what that spirit does? It steals your joy. It steals your peace. That's what those inner torturers do. Refusing to forgive will make you a bitter person. It will make you an angry person, an unloving person, and a joyless person. When we choose not to forgive, it's actually us who suffers. If I don't forgive you, it's me that's going to suffer. We may not be able to forget it. We might carry the scars. But under God, we can 
forgive it. Our problem is we like to collect debts. We just like to for some reason. We spend our time collecting IOUs. We keep record of every time someone has offended us. We like to gossip about them. We tell other people about them. I'm speaking of myself too. I mean, someone hurts us, offends us. We write their name down in our mind. Every time we think of them, we think, I owe you. Or you owe me. If you keep IOUs, I challenge you to get out a piece of paper. When you go home from church today, if you're the person that keeps IOUs, and I think that's maybe all of us, I want you to get out a piece of paper. Maybe go into your study so nobody can see. Get out a piece of paper, and at the top, don't get a pencil, get a pen. Put at the top of the page, IOUs. And start listing everyone in your entire life who has disappointed you, who has hurt you, people that you haven't forgiven. And what I want you to do before you write down any name on that page, I want you to put my name at the top of that page. Because if we get the opportunity to hang out long enough, in time I will disappoint you. I will. And I will say something that will hurt your feelings, guaranteed. So start out with putting my name at the top of the page. And then what I want you to do is, I want you to write down Jim's name on your page. I want you to put Corey's name on your page. I want you to put Heather's name on your page. Because in time... If they haven't already, which would be a miracle, if they haven't offended you, they will in time. If they haven't offended you, the problem is you're not hanging out with them often enough. And that's a different problem. That's part two. Put everyone's name down in this church. Because it's going to happen. And then what I want you to do is I want you to write Ephesians 4.31 across the page. And I want you to open up your Bible and I want you to read Ephesians 4.32. Sorry, Ephesians 4.32. And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ also forgave you. And then I want you to take that piece of paper that has my name at the top and I want you to tear it up. Tear it up on your knees and ask God to help you to forgive these people like he has forgiven us. And I know it's pretty hot out, but start a fire downstairs and burn that piece of paper. Forgiveness is tearing up these IOUs. And when you are willing to do that, God will set you free. Psalms 86.5, For you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive. Are you? Am I ready to forgive? Remember, forgiving doesn't mean choosing to take someone who you've been holding in your debt. You're holding them in resentment and bitterness, and you're going to release them. Release them from that debt. Forgiveness is a radical, counter-cultural perspective on life. 
If you believe in forgiveness, this is what you believe in, then you will see people for what they can be and for what they were intended to be rather than who they are. Are there limits to forgiveness? It'd be kind of nice if there was, wouldn't it? We'd only have to go that far. Matthew 18, 21 and 22. I wonder if there's a maximum number. It would be nice if there was a three-strike rule, wouldn't it be? We could all handle being hurt, you know, by Mark three times, couldn't we? Wouldn't have to suffer too much, just three times, and you're out. 490 times. And that's just a number just to show that there is no limit on forgiveness. 70 times 7. So let's dig a little deeper. Let's define the difference between an apology and forgiveness. Or are they the same thing? Maybe we've been doing it wrong or maybe we've been doing it right. I don't know. They're kind of two interrelated concepts, aren't they? An apology and forgiveness. Sometimes you have to dig out Webster's to really find out really what is the difference and, and am I just skirting the issue the apology is the act of acknowledging one's fault and expressing remorse over it. However, forgiveness is the acceptance of the apology and letting go of that resentment. Saying I am sorry doesn't require a change of heart. It is just acknowledging the fault. And here I want to give you an example. Let's say that your child takes another child's truck. Okay, Danny and I are little boys. We're playing in the sandbox, and I go over to him, and I take his truck. He gets mad at me taking his truck, and so he finds out as he's looking around in the sand, and his truck is gone, and so my mother comes over to me and says, Svenny, you need to go back to Danny, and you need to give him back his truck and say you're sorry. We've all heard that lots, right? We've been, we, our parents parented us that way. We probably parented our kids that way, right? So I go over to Danny and I give him back his truck and I say, sorry, Danny. Right? And then I go away. On the surface, everything looks okay, right? The wrong act was discovered. The perpetrator, me, said that I was sorry and everything's back to normal, right? Everything's good. Sorry, Danny, I took your truck. But what about beneath the surface? What about him? What is his heart? What, what is he thinking inside? What's my heart? What is it like under the surface? And how is saying I'm sorry not helpful? It is actually maybe more destructive than doing nothing, and here's why. Simply saying that one is sorry doesn't, under, doesn't address the underlying heart issue. The problem here is that me, I regret that I got caught. I, I'm upset that I got caught, and next time I'm going to be smarter about it. I'm going to take Danny's truck when he goes to the bathroom, not when he's looking the other way. I'm just going to be smarter about it. The regret is focused on the fact that I got caught, not on the fact that I wronged my brother. So let's change this scenario just a little bit. Let's change it. 
And how could asking Danny if he would forgive me change the whole scenario as opposed to just saying I'm sorry? So my mother, being very smart, she sees me, takes Danny's truck. She sees Danny get mad at me. And so she comes to me and she says, Sven, I saw you take Danny's truck. I saw how you tried to take advantage of him when he was looking the other way. Sven, you, you should be trying to serve your younger brother, not to take advantage of him. That's where my heart was, taking advantage of him. And so I go up to Danny and I say, Danny, will you please forgive me for trying to take advantage of you? Danny, will you forgive me for trying to take advantage of you? And that is the answer. And what does that do to his heart? It gives him freedom. It gives him release of me trying to take advantage of him. He doesn't harbor any hard feelings against me. Now, because I live in a sinful world and I fellowship with him long enough, tomorrow am I going to try and take that truck from him when he goes to the bathroom? Maybe. Might happen again. We live in a sinful world. But we need to ask for forgiveness, not I am sorry. The issue of regret here has been addressed. And we can now again restore and build back our relationship as opposed to just saying, I'm sorry, and walking on. Learning to ask for forgiveness, this will set the foundation for a healthy relationship. It communicates humility, and it communicates that I want to accept responsibility. People in this world that ask for forgiveness, they show that they believe that the relationship that he and I have is worth the possibility of embarrassment. Which is associated with admitting wrong. I had to admit to him that I was wrong. And then I had to humble myself in front of him, waiting for him to say, yes, I will forgive you. What happens if he doesn't? You know, there's no guy in this world that goes on his knee and says to the lady, will you please marry me? And then gets up and walks on. That's what sorry is. You know, when you're on your knee, will you marry me? You wait until you get an answer. When you say, Danny, will you forgive me? I have to wait for his answer. Now, fortunately, he's replied very quickly, which was very nice. But it can take a longer time sometimes. Relationships work best when there isn't any unresolved conflict or issue. A marriage relationship works best when there isn't any unresolved conflict or issue. So here, I'm going to give you six steps to go through when you ask for forgiveness. Number one, you need to humble yourself and you need to acknowledge your mistake. 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7. Humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. This is often the hardest step, the first step. Number two, explain what went wrong. Do not make excuses. Take full responsibility for your actions. Number three, truly repent and be genuine. I am sorry, but... I'm sorry you felt that way. I sure didn't. That doesn't cut it. 
take out the buts, take out, you know, well, it's you that felt that way, not me. Truly repent and be genuine. Number four, promise to change. An apology is meaningless unless you are willing to take steps to ensure that it doesn't happen again. Number five, allow them to be upset. Allow them to be angry. It might have taken a while for you to get up the courage and for God to work on your heart long enough to go ask for forgiveness, and then you're standing there waiting for a reply immediately. Well, you might have had years to get to that place where you're ready to ask them to forgive you. So don't expect them in a millisecond to say, yes, I forgive you. Allow them to be angry. Number six, a request for forgiveness. A request for forgiveness transforms the apology into a unilateral statement. It makes the violator have to communicate and the person who has transgressed to communicate back, yes, I am sorry. It's waiting for a response. It's not just, I am sorry, and you walk on. You need to have a response when I say, Danny, will you forgive me? Apology and forgiveness. Two sides of the same coin. The apology, which it expresses the regret or remorse for an offense, and forgiveness is the pardon for the transgression. When we ask for forgiveness, it takes humility because we have to admit that we wronged someone. And that's tough. It's why God forgave our sins, not just said that he was sorry for our sins. Just saying, yes, he's sorry that we sinned, but just saying that he was sorry would not give us eternal life. He has to forgive our sins. And as Christians, we have to extend forgiveness to others. How many times? There's no limit. There's no limit. So today, I'd like to encourage you, instead of saying sorry to people, to ask them to forgive you. Ask them to forgive you. Will you please Forgive me. James 4.10. Humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up. It's how relationships heal and strengthen. And it is how love grows. I want to ask you a question because I'm curious. You can raise your hand here. You know, I was thinking in my mind, is it harder to ask somebody to forgive you? Or is it harder to forgive someone? So I want to poll this morning. Put your hand up if you think it is harder to ask someone to forgive you. Okay, there's a few hands going up. You have to vote for one or the other. And how many of you think that it is harder to forgive someone? Okay, I think there's more hands that went up saying it's harder to ask someone to forgive, right? It's hard. Mark, can I put you on the spot this morning? Perfect. These last two weeks have been really, really tough. You know, I've had some unexpected bills. And Mark, I get paid in two weeks, but I need 100 bucks. And I was wondering if I could borrow $100. And 
and I'll pay you back in two weeks. Mark, could I borrow $100? Mark, I appreciate that very, very much. My family appreciates it, and that is going to see me through. Two weeks comes up, and you know what? I look at my visa bill, and I don't have enough paycheck to pay my visa bill, let alone pay Mark back. What, what do I do next Sabbath? I come a little late. I see Mark sitting there, so where do I sit? Back there. During the closing hymn, I get up and leave. I don't want to see Mark. I owe Mark $100, and it's past the two weeks. The next Sabbath, what happens? I come to church a little bit late. I see Mark sitting there. Where do I sit? Back there. During the closing song, I leave. The third Sabbath, what happens? I don't come to church. Because I owe Mark 100 bucks. And I don't want to see Mark because I don't have $100 to pay him. Two years go by, and I haven't come to this church because I owe Mark $100, and I haven't paid Mark $100. The Lord works on my heart, and finally I say, you know what? I better go to Mark's house. And I better ask Mark if he will... I still don't have $100, Mark. So I knock on Mark's door, and I've had two years to think about this, and it has been anguish, it has been eating my heart, and I am so nervous to go to Mark's house, I have sweat running down my back. But I go to Mark's house, I see his vehicle in the driveway, I know he's home, and I knock on his door. Mark answers the door. I wished he hadn't have answered the door. And I say, Mark, I owe you $100. And it has ruined my life with Jesus, has ruined my relationship with Jesus. I haven't come to church in two years because I don't want to see you. But that's no good. Mark, I still don't have the $100 to pay you back, but I want to know if you will forgive me. Church, we serve a wonderful God. And God has been working on Mark's heart for order for him to be able to forgive me. Mark, guess what? The next Sabbath, where am I sitting? I'm sitting beside you or I'm going to be sitting back in the same spot that I always sat in if no one has taken my spot. <laughs> because Mark has forgiven me. Three months down the road, I have a buddy coming up and he says, Sven... We're going to go do this wonderful thing. I put anything in there, but it, 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 it's going to cost. Let's go do it. And I'm like, I don't have the money to go do that. He's like, oh, come on. I'm driving six hours to come up. We're going to do this. Dig up the money from somewhere. Let's go have some fun. I'm like, well, how much is it going to be? He's like, it's going to be 100 bucks. Oh, I don't have $100. He's like, come on. You know, figure out something. You know, water down the soup. Come up with $100. And so I'm scratching my mind and... You know, maybe Mark will loan me $100. So I go knocking on Mark's door, and I say, Mark, I've got a buddy coming up, and I was wondering if you could loan me $100. You know, that is amazing. You put your own scenario into that. And you know, Mark, if tables were turned, I'm not as good a man as you. The Lord hasn't been working on my heart. It would be very hard for me. Why? Because I've had that IOU in my mind. 
Even though I've said I've forgiven, I don't know if I should loan you that $100. So that's amazing. So that's why I actually think, for me, it's harder to forgive than to ask for forgiveness. Because maybe for many of us, you wouldn't loan me that second hundred dollars because I still owe you the first even though you've forgiven me. It's harder to forgive. It's harder to forgive. We enjoy fellowship. Fellowship is a wonderful thing. And I encourage you to fellowship. You need to fellowship lots with each other. Fellowship with your neighbors. Just remember that the longer you fellowship together, there's going to be spats and squabbles and fights that are going to happen. Things are going to be said which hurt your feelings. Just remember that I encourage you to finish the equation. Forgive or ask for forgiveness. Fellowship, fight, forgive. In closing, I just want you to remember this. That we sometimes commit our greatest transgressions when we are right. Because we know in our hearts that we are justified. Fellowship, fight, forgive. Thank you. We can, but maybe it's getting late. We should dialogue afterward. You know, um, no, I don't know this church very well, so I don't know. I'm happy to dialogue, but, yep.